Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Show notes and additional episodes are available at kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog at comlawmonitor.com. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hello, I'm Chip Kirkitis, a partner in the Kelly Dry and Warren Communications Group. In the last episode of the Kelly Dry Full Spectrum Podcast, we discussed two items adopted by the Commission at its April 20th open meeting. One, the Federal Communications Commission proposes changes to the International Section 214 authorization regime that's applicable to providers of telecommunication services between the U.S. and other countries. And two, commission proposals relating to expanded accessibility and transparency in the Wireless Emergency Alert Program. If you haven't listened to that podcast yet, I invite you to do so. Today, I will continue our coverage of the April open meeting of the FCC. Specifically, I will provide you with an overview of the FCC's adopted policy statement addressing spectrum management principles that will guide the commission in future spectrum proceedings. And then I will summarize a report and order and further notice the proposed rulemaking regarding the sharing of spectrum by non-geostationary satellite constellations. The policy statement follows a commission inquiry proceeding commenced in April 2022, exploring the need for receiver interference immunity standards. This inquiry was instigated in part following several highly publicized cases in recent years where the commission authorized high power terrestrial services in new bands that were adjacent to or near adjacent to incumbent services utilizing highly sensitive receivers. More generally, the inquiry was a step toward developing a refreshed approach to maximize spectrum access and promote coexistence among different services. The policy statement, which sets forth spectrum management principles for the stated purpose of guiding stakeholders and keeping pace with the state of the art, is largely the fruit of that inquiry proceeding. Before getting into some of the key takeaways from the policy statement, I think it would be helpful to comment on what the policy statement does not do. It does not create enforceable rules, but merely foreshadows possible regulatory decisions and future spectrum proceedings of the commission and the principles upon which those decisions may be based. The commission notes up front that the policy statement is not binding on the commission or other parties, and it does not preclude a decision that's contrary to the policy statement in any future spectrum matter. The policy statement relates only to management of non-federal spectrum. It does not address bans relating to federal spectrum, and it does not clearly address bans that are shared between federal and non-federal users. However, The issues raised in the statement are no doubt part of the regular discussions on spectrum management between the leadership and staffs of the FCC and the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, or NTIA, 
and federal spectrum users as part of the Spectrum Coordination Initiative launched early in 2022 by the leaders of both NTIA and the FCC. The policy provides guidance related to spectrally adjacent and proximate services, but not to co-channel services, although the FCC does note that many of the technical and policy principles in the policy statement could be applied in co-channel geographically proximate situations as well. Through the policy statement, the commission declined to commit to adopt receiver standards in any particular band, or even make a proposal to do so. But rather, the commission wanted to inform its future actions and stakeholder expectations about interference from spectrally and spatially proximate sources. The policy statement makes clear that the FCC favors industry-led efforts to manage spectrum efficiently efficiently, and that voluntary adoption of receiver standards will be encouraged in lieu of generally applicable regulatory mandates. The FCC underscored that spectrum management between disparate spectrum neighbors could be based on a mutual responsibility to minimize interference, addressed on a case-by-case -case basis. In short, in general, the obligations to mitigate against interference should not be presumed to be shouldered predominantly by the service potentially causing the interference. Thus, the policy statement makes clear that zero risk of occasional service interruption or degradation cannot be guaranteed. Instead, operators and manufacturers should plan for and design error tolerant systems, according to the policy statement. They should use good engineering practices mitigate degradation from interference and build in adequate margins. As a corollary, the commission cautioned that measures to protect the service against harmful interference should not be based on exceptional events, while recognizing that certain services may in fact merit greater protection, such as public safety, aviation, satellite, and passive scientific services. The policy statement emphasized that spectrum users are expected to engage in ongoing spectrum planning. To anticipate the environment in which they are operating will change over time and that interference threats may increase. And to employ good engineering practices to improve service reliability, including the use of receivers with improved interference immunity, taking, in a, taking into account technological advances. The commission underscored in the statement that spectrum management is a two-way street. Transmitter design should minimize out-of-channel and out-of-band emissions. Indeed, the FCC recommitted to treat transmitter regulation as the primary means to protect spatially and spectrally proximate operations from harmful interference and to promote coexistence. However, the policy statement does not suggest that the commission will make any major changes in how it regulates transmitters. At the same time, the policy statement reflected an expectation that receiver design should mitigate interference from emissions located outside of assigned frequencies or channels. Spectrum users, the commission cautioned, should not assume that receivers designed for a static radio frequency environment 
will be protected indefinitely as the spectrum environment changes. Because the commission will be endeavoring to introduce import, what it calls important new services that may change the spectrum neighborhood. So in short, the policy statement underscores that receiver design is not a set it and forget it exercise. As the commission said, quote, as new receiver technologies are developed with improved interference immunity, and as the legacy equipment is being replaced over time, we encourage service providers periodically to deploy receivers that reflect the latest technical improvements, close quote. While the policy statement adopts no rules and imposes no obligations, as I mentioned earlier, the statement does make clear that the commission in future spectrum proceedings may consider receiver performance and adopt new receiver regulations, taking into account a variety of factors. These include one, whether incumbent receivers are designed adequately in light of current technologies and, and taking into account the passage of time since relevant equipment was last upgraded by incumbent operators. Two, the commission will consider the extent to which receivers can protect themselves from interference, for example, through the use of filters to withstand a range of undesired and unwanted emissions from spectrally proximate services. Three, the commission will consider the scope and scale of legacy receivers that are in active operation. And four, the practicality and feasibility of receiver standards that would better cope with prospective changes to the RF environments will be considered. And this is not an exclusive list. The policy statement commits the commission to engaging in spectrum management and measures to promote efficient coexistence that are data-driven. In other words, based on robust, transparent, and reproducible analyses founded on information about relevant current and proposed service transmitters and service receivers. The commission closed the policy statement affirming its intention to explore in future proceedings as it deems appropriate or necessary, interference limits rules and policies, in particular spectrum bands that incumbent service receivers will have to meet before they can make a claim of harmful interference. But the commission has not yet adopted a model for doing so and it does not propose in the policy statement any such limits at this time. I mentioned earlier that the FCC's policy statement on spectrum management does not apply to federal spectrum bans. Nonetheless, one thing to keep an eye on is the extent to which the principles in the statement make their way into or are reflected in the national spectrum strategy being worked on as we speak by NTIA. Among other things, the National Spectrum Strategy is expected to identify approximately 1500 megahertz of spectrum to be studied for possible repurposing. In mid-April, NTIA received more than 100 submissions from interested parties on a request for comments on the development of the National Spectrum Strategy. The release of the strategy setting out an implementation framework is anticipated by the end of this year. The government has worked on a national spectrum strategy in the past, of course, but without concrete results. However, uh, the current effort seems to have some real momentum 
which is no doubt occasioned by the fact that all of the low-hanging fruit for spectrum repurposing ostensibly has already been picked. Now I'm going to turn to a second, second spectrum item adopted by the FCC at the April open meeting. The commission added to a growing list of actions and proceedings over the past year involving the space-based economy by adopting a report and order and further notice of proposed rulemaking regarding spectrum sharing rules for non-geostationary orbit fixed satellite service systems or NGSOs. In fact, it is becoming rarer that an agenda item for an FCC open meeting does not include a satellite related item. In March, in March, there was the adoption of a notice of proposed rulemaking regarding supplemental coverage from space by which the commission building on several experimental licenses and waivers issued in the past few years proposes a novel regulatory framework that would facilitate in terrestrial flexible use spectrum bands meeting certain criteria, initially between 600 megahertz and 2360 megahertz, the collaboration between existing satellite operators and terrestrial service flexible use licensees that would enable satellite services to expand coverage to the terrestrial provider subscribers. Comments in that proceeding on that NPRM are due May 12th with replies due on June 12th. This month at the commission's May 18th meeting, which is coming up, the commission will consider an order resolving an outstanding rulemaking that has considered whether to authorize two-way high-powered terrestrial mobile use in the 12.2 to 12.7 gigahertz band. The draft order, which was released on April 27th, would decline to do so based on concerns that such service would impose a significant risk of harmful interference to existing and emergent satellite and other services in the 12.2 to 12.7 gigahertz band under the existing spectrum allocations. At the same time, the commission intends to launch at the meeting later this month, a new rulemaking refocusing on the adjacent band, 12.7 to 13.25 gigahertz, which is also a band with satellite service allocations. The commission is considering repurposing some or all of that band for mobile broadband or other expanded use while grandfathering, relocating, or repacking incumbent non-federal satellite or other licensees in the band. More on that later in our next podcast. So in brief, there is no shortage of items to keep busy the newly minted Space Bureau headed by Julie Kearney, which emerged out of the restructuring of the late great International Bureau. That restructuring became official on April 11th, just a month ago. That restructuring became official on April 11th, less than a month ago. So turning back to the NGSO spectrum sharing item, which was adopted in the April open meeting, the order accomplishes several things to promote more intensive use of NGSO fixed satellite service spectrum while advancing market entry, regulatory certainty, spectrum efficiency through good faith coordination and competition. First, 
The order revised the rules governing spectrum sharing among NGSO operators by clarifying protection obligations between systems authorized through successive satellite processing rounds. As a bit of background, applications for NGSO fixed satellite service system licenses and petitions by licensees authorized for such systems by other countries that are, have filed a petition for declaratory ruling seeking US market access are considered in groups based on filing date under a processing round procedure. A processing round involves a public notice setting a deadline for competing applications and petitions in the same NGSO spectrum band or bands when the commission accepts for filing an initial or lead application in the same public notice. Based on pleadings filed in response to each application filed by the processing round deadline, the commission will grant or deny the leading and competing applications, a process which is typically spread out over a series of orders rather than in a single order in which the commission acts on all the applications in a batch. Now, the commission had already concluded uh, through conditions for spectrum sharing among NGSO FSS systems and its authorizations, a sharing framework, but it had not formally codified this framework in its rules. In brief, NGSO FSS operators are obligated under their licenses and grants of market entry to coordinate with one another the use of commonly authorized frequencies. But if two or more systems fail to complete coordination, a default spectrum splitting procedure set out in section 25.261 of the commission's rules applies within the band in question. In 2021, the commission launched a rulemaking soliciting comment on rule changes that would codify and clarify the relative obligations between NGSO fixed satellite service systems approved in the same and in different processing rounds within the same spectrum band. The FCC proposed to limit the existing spectrum splitting procedure to systems that were approved in the same processing round and to require NGSO systems approved in a later processing round to coordinate with or demonstrate that they detect in the alternative earlier round systems. This proposal received general support among commenters. The order adopted this approach and affirmed that licenses granted in an earlier processing round would be protected from licensees granted in a later processing round but also made those protections subject to a sunset period, after which new entrants authorized in the later processing round would share a spectrum on an equal basis with earlier round licensees. In particular, the order provides that 10 years after the first NGSO license or market access grant in a second or later processing round in a given NGSO spectrum band, the protections afforded earlier processing round grantees from later round grantees will sunset. From the sunset date on, all licensees from both or all processing rounds will be treated on an equal basis and subject to coordination. Absent coordination, 
the spectrum splitting procedure that exists today between grantees in the same processing round would apply. The commission took this action based on its expectation that any need for the stability offered by limiting the default spectrum splitting procedure to systems approved through the same processing round should be counterbalanced over time with the benefits of removing the handicaps placed on later granted systems so as to promote new entry and greater competition. The commission's adoption of the sunset rule uh, was subject to more disagreement among the commenters than its general proposition uh, codifying the protection obligations between NGSO systems authorized in the same processing round, as well as the protections offered earlier round grantees from later round grantees uh, up until the sunset date. The commission observed that by fixing the sunset date at 10 years, many later round systems will be nearing or be past their nine-year full deployment milestones, which would afford later round granted systems equal protection and spectrum sharing opportunities under the spectrum splitting procedure once their full service constellations are operational. At the same time, the commission expected and expects that earlier round systems will have had the opportunity to adjust to the constellations of later round grantees. Now the commission made clear that this framework establishing the relative rights of NGSO grantees in different processing rounds will apply to all current and future licenses and market access grantees. The order underscores that all NGSO satellite grants are conditioned on the outcome of future rulemakings and concludes that no expectations of earlier round licenses have been upset. The order also notes that prior to its adoption, the protection of earlier round licensees from later round licensees uh, was handled on a case-by-case -case basis. The second principal action the commission took in the NGSO spectrum sharing order requires NGSO systems approved in later processing rounds to coordinate with earlier round systems and submit in the International Communications Filing System, or ICFS, a certification that it has completed a coordination agreement with any operational NGSO fixed satellite systems granted in any earlier processing round. If that certification can't be provided, then the later granted system must submit for FCC approval a showing that it will protect earlier round systems from harmful interference. In the latter case, the later round NGSO system will be permitted to operate on an unprotected non-interference basis while the commission considers it's showing of how it will protect earlier round systems from interference. In connection with this, the commission considered several options to be used to assess whether earlier systems are adequately protected. It settled on the use of what is termed degraded throughput methodology. The FCC found that a degraded throughput methodology takes into account the mechanisms NGSO systems already use 
to tolerate signal degradation due to pathless changes and link outages due to weather effects, such as adaptive coding and modulation or ACM, and would provide resilience to certain interference from other NGSO systems. Further, the FCC concluded that degraded throughput analyses can be readily performed using widely available satellite system operational information. However, the commission did allow that certain issues surrounding the graded throughput methodology needs further exploration, such as taking into account geostationary orbit interference and aggregate interference for multiple NGSO constellations, as well as potential synchronization losses. Accordingly, these matters are teed up in the further notice of proposed rulemaking that accompanies the NGSO order. Further, because the rule adopting the degraded throughput methodology standard is an information collection regulation, it will become effective only after review by the Office of Management and Budget. The third part of the NGS order involved the commission declaring that all NGSO FSS operators licensed or granted market access in the US must coordinate with each other in good faith, regardless of what processing round they received their authorizations. The commission described general expectations for information sharing during this good faith coordination, but declined at this time to specify the information that must be shared, stating it would monitor whether it should revisit this conclusion. However, the FCC did note, for example, that it expects that certain essential NGSO operating parameters and other information that is typically publicly available will not be withheld during good faith coordination and explained that satellite selection information revealing which satellites will be transmitting in certain circumstances can be key to efficient spectrum sharing between constellations, particularly to ensure a smaller constellation is not unnecessarily restricted from operating. The commission also dec declined to define what constitutes good faith and stated it will address any complaints on a case-by-case -case basis. However, the commission explained if a complaint is made about an alleged lack of good faith, it would consider among other factors, the relative benefit to a potentially successful coordination uh, of the information that was not shared as well as the relative competitive or other risks associated with providing certain information. As I mentioned, in an accompanying further notice of proposed rulemaking, the commission solicit, solicits comment on which specific metrics should be used to define the protection afforded to an earlier round NGSO fixed satellite system from a later round system using the degraded throughput methodology that the FCC adopted. The further NPRM seeks comment on a number of technical issues at the as the commission hopes to finalize the details of the degraded throughput methodology and the analyses to be conducted under it. It solicits comment on aggregate and GSO interference and how that might affect inter round protection criteria and the opening of additional processing rounds in advance. The further NPRM also invites comment on what criteria should apply after the protection period sunsets between processing rounds. 
comment on these issues, which makes plain that the matters covered in the order are, are not yet complete, will be due 45 days after Federal Register publication of the order and further notice. That has not yet occurred. So in short, the implementation of the new methodology for determining adequate protection of earlier round licensees adopted in the order is not completed. And to at least a certain extent will be on hold until the commission works out the details following the record developed on the further notice of proposed rulemaking. I wanna thank you for joining today. Our next podcast will follow the commission's open meeting on May 18th. We invite you to listen in. And if you have not already, to subscribe to the Kelly Dry Full Spectrum Podcast. Thanks again and have a great day. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.